Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi there, welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast. My name is Paul Fraser and I'm the host. And thanks for jumping on today, our very first podcast of the decade. Wow, no pressure, right? Uh, You're going to love today's episode, though. It's going to set the tone uh, for our podcasts moving forward, I believe. It's with Dr. Bill Hogg. He has such a heart for people far from God. And in this podcast, we talk about evangelism, preaching the gospel. How about falling it madly in love with Jesus? That sounds pretty important. And uh, he's, he comes with a wealth of expertise as a missiologist, speaker, trainer, and has a desire to raise up evangelists and evangelism all over Canada, dropping timeless truths throughout this episode. And if that wasn't enough, he's got a killer Scottish accent, and it's coming up right now. Again, we've got another great guest on the Multiply Network podcast, Dr. Bill Hogg uh, from BC is joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Great to be with you today. It's so great to have you and have enjoyed our conversations. We've known each other now for a couple years and uh, have a similar heart for evangelism. And that's what we're going to spend the biggest chunk of our time talking about is uh, evangelism in Canada. I know you have a huge heart for that, but but maybe introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Uh, obviously, you've got a wonderful Scottish accent, so uh, I don't think you picked that up here in Canada. And uh, maybe tell us a bit of your story and how you got here. Will do, Paul. Thanks. Yeah, these are uh, glorified vocal cords. So that that's why I speak with a Scottish accent. There's two kinds of people on the planet two kinds of people in PAOC, uh, those who are Scottish, those who wish they were Scottish. So <laughs> the good news is if you put your trust and confidence in Jesus, when you pop your clogs, you get a glorified resurrection body with glorified resurrection vocal cords, and, and you'll sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fraser is Scottish. That, that's, and maybe that's why we get on so we, well. We get, we get along so well. My granddad was born in Edinburgh, and so I've got some connection there. But you made the journey over here because God was leading you here. Yeah, it was a disruptive call from God. Uh, back in the 90s, I was pioneering Youth for Christ in Scotland, which was kick-started as really part of a resurgent evangelicalism after World War II. So... Uh, people who were around then or who are students of contemporary church history would know that after World War II in North America, there was kind of, we would probably call them apostolic leaders now, but back then they called them entrepreneurial leaders. So a guy called Tory Johnson uh, was part of God's Sandbox back then. Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, who wanted to buy a camp and his board turned him down so he did an end run around his board as entrepreneurs do yeah got his board chairman to buy the camp and bought it back for a buck so these were some of the players around and one of these players was tory johnson his first hire was uh, someone called billy graham oh. uh, who was a youth for christ evangelist and there was this kind of spontaneous combustion 
uh, around North America of Youth for Christ chapters, uh, large-scale proclamation evangelism, and obviously after the LA uh, campaign, uh, Billy Graham became a North American and international figure. And part of this wave, Youth for Christ, was launched in the UK, and then it faded. So it had lain fallow for some time, and so my mandate was to pioneer Youth for Christ in Scotland. I got on the radar of a church in the United States. They made overtures for me to move across and become their youth pastor, which I was again. But the Lord spoke disruptively, prophetically, consistently. And even uh, the other day there in my readings, I was uh, reacquainted with some of the disruptionism reading Genesis 12, where God uh, disrupts this moon-worshipping pagan in Ur of the Chaldees, Abram, and said, you're on the move. Uh, you're going to a different land. And part of that was obviously, big part, catalytic role in God's redemptive purposes. Of course. Of course. And, and so that, that scripture and that figure became yeah, a disquieting presence in our lives as just when you don't expect them to pop up, there's ugly old Abraham saying, leave your father's land, leave your country, go to a land that I will show you. So we moved to the U.S. in 95. I was involved in youth ministry, Youth for Christ, local church ministry, broadcasting, and ran evangelistic soccer camps, and then uh, was called to Canada, and ended up in Canada as a pastor. And then, rather than giving you the life and time of Bill Hogg, if I keep it brief, in 2010, I was in South Africa. And the Lord uh, said to me, I'm redeploying you as an apostolic evangelist and I want your work with Gord Fleming. Now, I had no idea how those two things would intertwine or happen. This would be October, November 2010. Uh, but in 2012, I started uh, with what was then C2C Network as National Missiologist. And so the privilege of crisscrossing Canada, meeting leaders, and servants from different tribes and denoms and getting a sense of what God is up to across Canada and seeing some of the deficits and challenges as well as the fruitfulness of ministry across Canada. Well, I, you know, the times that I've sat in your sessions and in conversations, it's really obvious that you have a great heart for people far from God. And, and even, you know, even a greater heart to raise up leaders to actually go and be evangelists. And, and we'll talk about uh, kind of what you're doing, uh, Message Canada, you're the national director, that's going to be a big part of what you're doing in the future, raising up evangelists, doing events, that type of thing. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But but as you mentioned, you are a missiologist, and but I don't have to be a missiologist to look at the church and state of Canada and realize that we're not reaching our nation. Uh, there's lots of reasons probably, but one of them is just this idea of not seeing the evangelist, uh, evangelism being a front burner issue in our churches. And you're wanting to change that. But why don't you tell us maybe how did we get here? That's a great question, Paul. I think part of how we got here would be the rapid post-World War II de-Christianization of Canada. So I probably spoke too long about evangelical resurgence after World War II. But Canada has kind of 
led the planet, maybe got the silver or bronze in de-Christianization. So back in 1961, one half of 1% of Canadians would say, I have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Now in 2020, it's one out of four. And here in BC, it might be 35%. And parts of Vancouver, British Columbia, it would be nearer 60%. So my friends, Mark and Carolyn Birch, when he was providing uh, leadership as a church planting network leader, took their neighbor out for supper one night. And, you know, it's one of those get to know you, you've never sat down before, meals, eats and meets. And she said to Mark, so what exactly is it you do, Mark? He said, I help young leaders start brand new churches. And his neighbor said, without a hint of disdain or contempt, do people still do that? So, so that's part of the mill you were in. That's part of the air that we're breathing would be de-Christianization, which we would say maybe one of our dominant trends would be the rise of the nuns and the duns. So those who have either no religious affiliation whatsoever, or those who say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with organized religion. Then at the same time in the church, uh, we're seeing decline where perhaps 85% of Canadian churches have plateaued or declined. Now that's using attendance and adherence as the metric there, the governing metric, which isn't the best missional metric, but it says something. But it also says you could buck that trend if you had a family move from Manitoba uh, to your uh, congregation in Alberta. And wow, all of a sudden you're experiencing American numerical growth and you're not part of the sad 85%. Uh, and then we say, okay, the 15%, what's going on there? And we don't have really good data, but our best guesstimate is that most of that would be transfer growth and perhaps 2% would be conversion growth. And then alongside that, most churches operate like Program Central or a private club. Mm -hmm. So there's not really an impulse to follow Jesus into the mission fields in what is a more challenging environment. Uh, Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So I think first and foremost, we've got to fall in love with him, mm -hmm. baptized in the Spirit, drenched in the Spirit, and capture his heart. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's a heart issue. If I'm not in love with Jesus, I'm a miserable so-and-so. If I'm not in love with Jesus and inhaling his manifest presence, I don't have much to offer. So there's also a spiritual dynamic where we need to see widespread spiritual renewal, a quickening, a stirring, a visitation from the Lord. That little verse in Acts 3 plays around inside me from time to time. Repent, turn to me, says the Lord, that you may experience times of refreshing. So I think we need refreshing in Canada. Our church needs refreshed. Our leaders need refreshed. Our volunteers, our youth pastors, you pick a category. Guess what? We all need refreshed. We need infused with Holy Spirit life and power. And we need to experience the love and tenderness of Jesus so that as his love seeps into the arid places of our hearts, we can echo the Apostle Paul who says, the love of Christ compels me. So these are some of the reasons. I would also say in addition to that, Paul, many churches don't preach the gospel. So they're, pre they're off another script. 
and I'm going, what are you, what are you doing? So I, I will come in as a guest speaker, as a resource person. From time to time, I would evaluate and assess church planters, sometimes four or five assessment centers a year. And other times I would sit in a congregation or a crowd or at a conference and I would have to ask the question, where's the beef? You know, where's the gospel? Because yeah. the gospel is the power of God. Uh, some time ago, David Nicholas, who planted Spanish River Community Church and launched a church planting network that has funded church planting across the planet, was very disheartened by the lack of gospel preaching and the planters he was rubbing shoulders with. So he co-commissioned a research project with Lifeway in the States. And I think this is maybe eight or 10 year old news, but it, I think it's got significance for us in Canada today, albeit an American survey, where he came up with his matrix of six ingredients. Has Paul Fraser, has Bill Hogg communicated the good news? And so this was, these were his six lenses to evaluate us. And he and Lifeway got together and they evaluated 1,000 sermons from evangelical churches on Christmas Eve and Easter Sunday. So you're mm -hmm. thinking, yeah. you've got to hit the bullseye. <laughs> For goodness sake, Christmas Eve, what's it all about? Jesus. Why is he called Jesus? He will save his people from their sins. Yeah. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I think that'll preach. And then Easter Sunday, of course, we celebrate the greatest yeah. jailbreak in all of history and that Jesus is indestructible and he's stronger than death. Yeah. So clearly, you know, you're getting a, a leg up or if you like baseball, I don't think you're you're put on first base there. You're kind of put on third base, I would say, Christmas yeah. Eve yeah. and Easter Sunday. But his research determined that only 6% actually preached the gospel. So okay, just stop, some... just stop right there. 6% on Six... Easter and Christmas Eve. Yeah, I, I should have. I was talking too much. I should have said, "Guess, Paul." I should have. Said, guess what percentage? And that would have been great. We could rewind it and redo this, but we won't. Let's, let's rewind, rewind it, and, and hey, Paul, what percentage? I can't. I can't believe that. I. I can't. That's just. I. I've never heard of that study before, but that is fascinating. Six percent. Six percent. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link. And actually, I was in conversation with a veteran evangelist uh, when I was in uh, Toronto in December and I quoted this. And so we actually had a conversation. And he phoned me after a two hour meeting and phoned me on New Year's Eve just to re-engage. And, and there's a book which actually I just ordered to reacquaint myself, David Nicholas, whatever happened to the gospel. So you and I are laughing, not because this is funny, but no. because it's shocking. Yeah. Right. You laugh if something's embarrassing or shocking, but 6%. So what else have we got to offer if we can't preach Jesus, his person, his work, his continuing ministry? If we aren't declaring the beauty, the power, the sufficiency, the supremacy of Jesus and what God in Christ has accomplished for us and what he continues to offer and do, then preacher, shut up and go home would be what I would say. Turn your badge in, hand your badge in, put your gun on the table and walk away. So it, that's that's part of our malaise where we've got to recalibrate around the centrality of the gospel. Paul says, I want to remind you of that, which is of first importance. Christ died for our sins. Yeah. 
according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. So if there's if there's no gospel, there's no power yeah. because the gospel is the power of God. I mean, we Pentecostals love the power of the Holy Spirit. There, there is a missional power, a transformative power, and that's the gospel. God's saving power is released when we proclaim the gospel. And if we don't proclaim the gospel, then people are left dead in their trespasses and sins. And, you know, so people do a kind of Reader's Digest, yeah. Best Life Now, or offer moralism or legalism, or some guys want to impress you with how clever they are. So they deliver a theological lecture. And that's not our mandate from Jesus. I uh, lots to lots to dig into there. One of the things that just getting back to your first thought, and it probably needs to go in this order, that unless you love Jesus, unless you have a thriving relationship with Jesus, like I don't know if I've met anybody who has a casual relationship with Jesus, but is an effective evangelist. Like I just don't I just don't know if that can happen because in some ways you have to believe so heavily in what you're saying connected to so you know so heavily to Jesus that it just is like I can't help but share yeah. and maybe for you know for those and and you know just these as I'm hearing you talk again maybe my prayer in January for this year is I need to start there. I, I just I I want my relationship with Jesus to overflow and to let evangelism be an overflow of what's happening on the inside. Yeah, I mean that would be a great definition of evangelism overflow. Yeah. Uh, and some of us who were trained on those reductionist sales pitch, memorize this presentation and cram it in a Philistine's head approaches. You really don't need a, a loving, fragrant, invitational relationship with Jesus. You just need to be a parrot. Yeah. But the New Testament <laughs> suggests something radically different yeah. uh, as God's invitation for you and me. Yeah. So you go to churches, and so I can hear some pastors out there going, okay, I'm with you, Bill. Like, I, 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 you know, I, I, can get, I can get after the gospel. Maybe that's a reminder for some pastors out there. You got to preach the gospel. You got to talk about Jesus and all those things you said. And maybe that's the first thing you do when you come in to a to a church where you're assessing. You know, do you start with the pastor? Do you you know how do you figure that? Out? I, I'm I haven't sit I haven't sat in any of the training sessions you do. I know you go to churches and do training. So if there's a pastor out there that's saying I want to shift my church. Uh, maybe church planters out there, even that have just recently started, want to start with the right DNA. Yeah. What What would you like? Are there two or three things that that leaders can get started on that would move them to be more evangelistic as a first of all as a leader, but then also as a church? That's a great question. Yeah, I, th I think you you hit on it in terms of preach the gospel, not in a diluted or reductionist way, but in an accessible way. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, Jesus said, feed my sheep, not feed my giraffes. You know, so, so don't, you know, don't be obtuse and impressive. Communicate in a way that someone's sitting there, maybe even subconsciously, he goes, you know, this would be great. My neighbor would get this. Uh, you know, Keller would talk about preaching to the neighborhood. So there is this thing of, 
how accessible, how gospel infused is the gathering, how hospitable, invitational, but but that's only a piece of the pie. Right. Because we gather and then we then we're scattered. And so I yep. think a planter or a pastor needs to live the way and lead the way. So if they want a generous congregation, they need to be generous with time and and resources and money. If they want a praying congregation, they need to lead the way in pursuing intimacy with Jesus and intercession. And if you want an evangelistic congregation, you've got to lead the way. I think it's tougher for a pastor in an established church because the institutional role expectations imposed upon a pastor uh, mitigate against what Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Mm -hmm. So people want babysat, they want a chaplain, they want programs, and they think, you know, the pastor needs to be, depending on the size of the church, if it's a single cell church, pastor needs to be at everything. Mm -hmm. And the pastor's wife or the pastor's spouse, they need to be at everything too. So where's your husband? Mm -hmm. Well, you've got eyes in your head. You can see mm -hmm. he's not here, but it's like, you should be here. You should be with us. Mm -hmm. Whereas Jesus says, look, look out at the fields. They're white unto harvest. So I, I think a pastor's got to extricate themselves from being, you know, a youth pastor, being a program technician yeah. and and providing recreation and adventures in babysitting and build healthy, significant relationships with pre-Christians. Yeah. No, that's a great thought. What else would you what else would you suggest to a church, to a leader? I, I would say, you know, I would think do a do an assessment of your of your overall missional health so i mean the pastor can be gung-ho for evangelism but depending on the governance the board the elders need to be living it as well because the leaders are the church in microcosm they're really the dna carriers and lots of churches are are fans of espousing their core values and some unimaginative souls just cut and paste from willow creek and then drop that on their splash page but it's it's not our aspirational or stated values that define the culture it's our lived it's our mm -hmm. inhabited it's our actual values mm -hmm. so to be praying for the lost to be witnessing to be thinking creatively about mission and innovation that's got to go beyond those few enthusiasts that we label evangelists canada's endangered and threatened species somehow mm -hmm. we've got to say Whatever your gifting is, an apest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, as a leader, the exhortation is do the work of an evangelist. And then figure out ways, recognizing in post-Christian, pre-Christian Canada, uh, people may take a long and winding road to come back to God. And so we used to use the term pre-evangelism. What are you doing in terms of pre-evangelism? What, what are you doing in terms of on-ramps? What are you doing to uh, take the treasure of the gospel into the community? What are you doing to live as a community of blessing that takes seriously the Jeremiah exhortation, uh, pray and work and live for the welfare of the city? So think, thinking about holistic mission, thinking about blessing the poor, thinking that, guess what? It's not all about the weekend. Mm -hmm. Even in church planting, a lot of church planters, I think, are planting worship services rather than planting communities on mission with and for Jesus. Right.
And I think people need to understand, too, that as leaders, you may not be the most gifted evangelist in your church. Yeah. Like, while you need to be leading and modeling, maybe there's other people you need to empower Mm. to have them be the primary leaders. Um, I think you're right. There's an expectation on pastors to be all things to all people all the time. And it's just unfair because God didn't gift spiritual leaders in the church with all the giftings. And just releasing the laity to actually be on mission, you don't need—because I think what's happened is, and you'd probably agree with this, but you can push back if you disagree— is that we've reduced evangelism to a program or an event okay. rather than a, rather than like, well, we're going to be evangelistic on a mission trip or we're going to be evangelistic around Christmas or we're going to be, but then the rest of the year, we just, we're not interested in talking to our neighbors or, and I think that needs to, that needs to change. And so how do we redefine evangelism in a healthy way? And I like the word that you used, even when as it relates to the gospel, accessible, because it's probably every Christian's biggest guilt, not being evangelistic enough. So how do we reframe it in a way that it's clear, it's accessible, that everyone can do it, and maybe it's not as difficult as we think? Wow, good thoughts, Paul. Um, yeah, I think it would be widespread guilt. If you want to make, you know, it, we're not called to be ministers of guilt, but if if you wanted to yeah. drop the guilt bomb on a gathering of God's people, uh, challenge people about their prayer life and about their evangelistic vitality, yeah. and there would be widespread anxiety if you pressed into that. Yeah, uh, I I think part of that would be for people the fear of rejection. Yeah, uh, I agree. In the workplace, it's inappropriate, but with people who love and like and trust me, what if I go, come on too hot and heavy with Jesus, are they going to reject me and am I going to jeopardize the relationship? And then recognizing you don't need to download the whole counsel of God in one fell swoop. So I would think from that great theological movie, what about Bob? (laughs) <laughs> with Bill you know, you'll remember crazy Bob Wiley had multiple neuroses and uh, his road to wholeness was baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. So I think evangelism is helping people take a baby step towards Jesus. And if everybody's got a story, every single child of God has a story of grace, transformation and redemption. Some are stark, dramatic, from nightmare to you know, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Others are more uh, subtle and, and enjoying more of a an ongoing journey of transformation. Wouldn't talk about a cataclysmic conversion, but every single child of God, whether you've had a Damascus Road experience or an Emmaus Road experience, can talk about the difference Jesus has made in your life. So if we equip people to share their story, that would be a win. Yeah, And then I think the sharing of your story can lead to the story of all stories, God's story, the the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. So I think sometimes people become paralyzed because they don't know what to say. Yeah. But if you said to your neighbor, what's your story? Or if you said to your neighbor, hey, why don't we go out for coffee? Really love to get to know what's your story. And you sat back and listened and exercised 
uncommon discipline and didn't talk, they'd probably talk <laughs> for an hour uninterrupted. <laughs> and then at some point they might say, what's your story? Yeah. And then there's, then there's an opportunity for a child of God to talk about sociology, to talk about ethnicity, to talk about origins, or to say, actually, my story is shaped by Jesus of Nazareth. When I was a student in high school, and then you can share the story and how and why Jesus is significant here and now, not just that he plucked you out of yeah. pre-adolescent anxiety, yeah. but actually now as a middle-aged person or as a 30-something, Jesus is the center of your life and why. Mm -hmm. And I think people in our Canadian culture kind of get off put by authoritative truth claims. Mm -hmm. Totally. But they can't, they can't push back on your story because it's your story. Right. So so we kind of play cute with the relativism and pluralism of our culture and say, hey, this is my story. You know, st stand down, soldier. This yeah. is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. But then to equip people in spiritual conversation, like, what do you say? Yeah. So, if you, do, you know, we're into servant evangelism. So you do something kind or say to everybody, hey, random acts of kindness, everyone. So you go to the grocery store and you see someone in front of you and you decide to buy their groceries. So you shell out 67 bucks for their groceries and they turn and say, wow, you're such a really nice person. And, and what's the gospel response? No, I'm a self-centered so-and-so. The only reason there's <laughs> kindness and love and tenderness and any modicum of other centeredness in my life is because I've been wrecked and ransacked mm. by the love of Jesus. You know, and, you know, because you say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a nice person. So what does that do? That's you exercising self-righteousness and reinforcing this moralism that nice people do nice things but yep. niceness isn't a kingdom value uh, and we're not nice we're rotten you know we're i'm not okay you're not okay and that's okay because jesus came mm -hmm. to transform us so figuring out if people ask you a question uh how do you respond you and i before the podcast we're talking about brexit which is a, a case study <laughs> in leadership ineptitude and my uh, neighbor uh, across the street after the vote, which is, of course, a three-and-a-half-year-old story, she said to me, Bill, you'll be quite pleased. I said, with what? The vote. I said, Sue, what do you mean? And this was to do with Scottish independence. So that was yeah. a different vote. That was the Scottish referendum. So that makes yeah, it yeah, an yeah. older story. And she's an atheist. And so she said, well, you'll be really pleased there that Scotland uh, turned down independence. I said, why would I, Sue? Nationhood and self-governance are generous gifts from a loving creator. Boom! Put that in your pipe and smoke it, right? <laughs> so so we can be cheeky. Uh, we don't want to be abrasive or off-putting, but we need to think not in a way that would be plasticky and rote and rehearsed. But, it, but if someone asks you a question, like when my wife was saved at a gospel concert, she was radically transformed and she came into the home uh, where our parents were hostile to Jesus. And one day our mother had a bunch of women in for afternoon tea. And one of them said, Morag, look at you. You're glowing. You've changed. Have you fallen in love, Lassie? And she said, no, I've met Jesus. So it, it was it was natural. And that was the right answer. Yeah. So it's like, give the right answer. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. So yeah. there's a suggestion in the New Testament, your life and mine, from time to time, well, actually provoke questions 
And these questions need a gospel response. And and we trust from time to time our lives will provoke questions that only the gospel can Mm. provide the appropriate answer for. Yeah, and I think... I think responding in a way like understanding what the gospel does for me mm. and what Jesus has done for me brings humility. And humility is such a beautiful uh, vehicle to share truth, you know, where Jesus was full of grace and truth. Yeah. There yeah. is this there is this humility that that he, that he would even teach with. That while he was declaring truth, the only people he got frustrated with were the, were the religious. Mm-hmm. But there, but he had an answer, and I think just I like that grocery store analogy. It's like, oh, that was very nice of you. I, I'm not, I'm not very nice. In yeah. fact, left to my own devices, I would want you to pay for my groceries. Um, but because of mm-hmm. right, like because yeah. of uh, this this wonderful gift of salvation through Christ. Man, I just it humility just disarms people so much. And then the second part I love just to highlight again is telling the story. Telling your story, especially when asked, uh, is a powerful, powerful tool. And so want to uh kind of bridge into a little bit of like, oh, so how do we raise up evangelists? How do we train them? How do we and and this kind of leads us to what your working on and trying to pioneer. We we both talked uh, before the podcast on how difficult at times it can be to pioneer a network. But that's what you're trying to do with Message Canada. So why don't you tell us a little bit of the heart behind Message Canada and maybe where people can on-ramp and, and be a part of and, and be trained and resourced. Just maybe share a little bit about that. Sure. Ha- happy to. Yeah, so Message Canada uh, is kind of a baby in diapers, a new ministry. Uh, It's a 32-year-old ministry that started uh, in the UK uh, under the leadership of an apostolic evangelist called Andy Hawthorne. And the ministry has been so fruitful, Queen Elizabeth gave him an OBE. So we need to call the CEO Andy Hawthorne, (laughs) Order of the British Empire. Now, why would she do that for services to young people, but also because the ministry was bearing fruit in some of the toughest, gnarliest postal codes in the United Kingdom. You could see verifiable community transformation. Why? Because people were becoming downwardly mobile for the sake of the gospel and sharing good news amongst the poor. So at this stage in Message Canada's life, we're about two things. One is deploying downwardly mobile urban missionaries who will live in gospel community and broken postal codes. Currently, we have one such team, but weary listener, uh, you could be part of a new team and a new thing. We've got one team in the downtown east side of Vancouver. Uh, They moved across there and are living in community there to share the hope of Christ, uh, not just to bless the poor, but to elevate the poor, led by Fari. And we've opened an Eden Cafe as a Christ-centered social enterprise center. So the big idea, of course, we need Jesus. But if I'm being redeemed out of homelessness or addiction, I need life skills. I need mentoring. I need a job. I need to rebuild my resume. So there's a holistic missional engagement through Eden, following Jesus' mandate in Luke 4, where he says, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me to bring good news to the poor. And at the same time, through advance, 
we're wanting to identify, encourage, raise up a new breed and a new generation of Canadian evangelists. So what's just for clarity, what is Advance? So obviously it's under Message Canada, but is that an event? Advance would be more of a network, Paul. Okay. Good good clarifying question. We did an event in, in November. We did our first uh, evangelist summit under Advance. So Advance, if you like, is the brand of a network and of small groups of those stirred to do the work of an evangelist who would meet as a cohort to press into how clear and pure is your gospel, how clear and pure is your life, and are you taking every opportunity to proclaim Jesus and share Jesus? And then with a little bit of Tabasco, when you preach Jesus, call people to Jesus. Don't just talk about Jesus. Don't just lift them up, but invite Mm -hmm. weary, wounded, broken, rebellious people to encounter his, his saving power. So, Advance is a network we're building out where the idea is across the nation, maybe buried and suppressed and hidden, are men and women who've been anointed by God to be evangelists. Uh, And we haven't recognized them because largely, I would say, even amongst Pentecostal and charismatic churches who understand fivefold ministry, largely we've organized their leadership structures around the dominance of the shepherd and teacher. Mm-hmm. And so apostles end up in parachurch organizations or heading up networks, prophets. Wow. Mm-hmm. How do you handle a prophet? And then the evangelist has really not been embraced. And we we need to validate and affirm those who have a, a heart for the lost, almost a supernatural compassion for the lost who have a, and an anointing to communicate the good news of Jesus with uncommon winsomeness, authority, and power. Right. And, uh, you know, put gas on their flame. And yep. the evangelist, we need the evangelist as an equipper. Yeah. But also just to jolly well be an evangelist yep. and spread the good news like the life-giving virus it is. So Advance is a network which started in the UK Coming up for three years ago, Andy Hawthorne handpicked 12 preaching evangelists, pulled them into his office and said, I want to pour into you. I want to encourage you. I want to mentor you. I want to invest in you. Very organic. Uh, Fast forward to a couple of years ago, uh, after he said to these 12, go thou and do likewise what we've journeyed together these past 12, 18 months, reproducing the lives of others. They had a network of about 250 evangelists, but we're beginning to put structure in resource so there's an advanced group mentoring guide so that if you and I are in an advanced group together, we aren't staring at the ceiling or staring at each other or being dominated by the loudest mouth in the room because evangelists can be loud mouths. <laughs> there, there's uh, guardrails or guide rails of this curriculum where we press into gospel, Holy Spirit, power, prayer, the call mm-hmm. uh, of, of the evangelist. And a few months ago in England, October 2019, they gathered 700 evangelists in the Mm. advanced network. Now, we're way behind there in Canada. We've just done our first summit, but it seems like God's doing something because there's advanced groups popping up in about 15 or 16 different nations where God's elevating the evangelist, multiplying the gift of the evangelist, encouraging the evangelist. So really... What it's about is identifying, encouraging, resourcing, equipping, releasing, and multiplying the evangelist through a relational network where we've got 
a variety of tribes uh, coming together around this common goal. Love it. It's needed, uh, Bill. This is an important. This is an important thing because you're right. We we placed maybe too much priority on certain aspects of fivefold giftings, and uh, we we need the evangelist to rise up. And so we're grateful. I'm grateful that uh, that you're leaning into this. You're always a voice for that, and uh, appreciate you jumping on today. Um, maybe just I'll give you a, I'll just give you the kind of closing thoughts. Uh, lots of people listen to this podcast, a lot of our Pentecostal family, but others as well. Maybe just give us uh, an encouragement for 2020. Um, you know, maybe something that God's laying in your heart, even for you or for others, as it relates to reaching Canada. Like, what what do you feel? Maybe God is saying it, even in your own spirit. Mm. Wow. That's a, that's a good way to end, Paul. Thank you. I mean, the phrase, I've heard the phrase bandied around, so it's not a phrase I've originated, but the phrase unprecedented harvest. And I, I think that's in the heart of God for Canada, but we've got to act. We've got to step into that. We, we've got to embrace that. So you and I have been part of conversations and in gatherings where we've been exhorted to, and we've actually at 10.02, we've set our iPhone to remind ourselves to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. But why? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. So in pre-Christian or post-Christian Canada, however you want to label it, we can lose our gospel optimism. But I think God has a better day in store for us if we Mm -hmm. step out in spirit-filled obedience and look to the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of innovation and creativity. He's the one who hovered over chaos in Genesis 1, and out of chaos came life and fruitfulness. And I think uh, Pentecostals love the Holy Spirit, embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, but let's also listen to the Spirit and ask him for the way forward in 2020. Carve out time uh, to hear from the Lord and then do the stupid thing, the daft thing, the simple thing, the grade four thing of actually doing what he says. Because yeah. he, he's got a dream yeah. for every leader. He's got a dream for every congregation. He's got a dream for every city and hamlet and town and village in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, and he wants us to to keep in step with the Spirit, as it says in Ephesians. So I think there's there's great days ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see the future as being chaos and decline and decay. I think God has a, a day where he wants to pour out his Spirit in greater measure mm-hmm. and wants to, us to be out there in the harvest field, seeing broken men and women and lost, uh, crushed young people encountering the love and power and presence of Jesus. Love it. Great thought. Thanks. Thanks, Bill, for that. For those that want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? They could do email. Okay. Uh, Bill.hog, and that's hog spelled H-O-G-G. Mercifully, there's two G's. So it's <laughs> bill.hog at messagecanada dot org that's that's probably the best way i would think yeah. to uh get in conversation uh, we've also got 
uh, an Advanced Canada website. We've got an intentionally underdeveloped Message Canada website, messagecanada.org, and you'll find my contact information there. Uh, but if you put Advanced Canada groups into your search engine, you'll discover a website where I'm populating that with content uh, to encourage evangelists and where there's a free downloadable PDF of our advanced group mentoring guide. Great. So, I mean, I'd love to keep tabs on what's going on. I've no desire to control it, but if, yep. if you want to download that group guide and start a group, just let me know yep. and let me know if it can be an encouragement or a support in yep. any way. Wonderful. Well, thanks for being a resource for us today and uh, look forward to greater connections with you in the future. Thanks, Paul. God bless you. 